This is James Schofield, and you're listening to Behind the Bottom Line. This is episode 10 of season 7, and today's story is all about external appearance. How important is your exterior to how you feel? Think about it for a second. Now, if you said not at all, uh, I have to say I have my doubts. All of us have something that we're sensitive about. And in my case, I have to admit, I really don't like the fact that, um, especially over the last two years, and because I don't have to run around catching trains or hurrying between different meetings, um, I am somewhat rounder than I was a few years ago. However, there is one area in which I am very strict, very dogmatic and unbending, and that is facial hair. Uh, Why is that, you ask? Well, sit back, relax, and listen to The Moustache. Wilhelm Adler became the respected managing director of a large machine tool company, largely thanks to his magnificent moustache. Every morning he brushed each side 50 times with a special comb, cut any hairs that were too long, and then practiced making special faces in the mirror. These faces, combined with his moustache, were the secret of his success. To talk about money with investors or bankers, he would frown and make the ends of the moustache go down on either side of his mouth. With difficult union leaders or journalists, he would open his eyes wide and push his lips forward so the moustache bristled aggressively. To show the board of directors that he was thinking deep strategic thoughts, he would half-close his eyes and slowly stroke the moustache. And for the attractive assistants and secretaries working at company headquarters in Stuttgart, he would wink and smile, turning the moustache ends upwards a little. And this last face, together with an expensive handbag or scarf as a present, nearly always helped him to seduce them. But not with the new intern, Candy Harding, who came to work for them for six months from San Francisco. Wilhelm had worked in the US for two years early in his career and loved it so much that he tried to behave like an American business executive when he returned to Germany. He spoke English with an American accent, used American business jargon whenever possible, and asked people to call him Bill instead of using his real name. So Candy was the American dream on legs to him, long tanned legs to be exact, with blue eyes, blonde hair, and white teeth to match. She was studying journalism at Berkeley, and was full of the American energy and enthusiasm which Wilhelm so admired. But although he tried his best with smiles and presents, he could not seduce her. Candy hated his moustache. Bill, you're very attractive, she told him when he took her to his favourite restaurant on one of their dates. But couldn't you shave that thing off? This was, of course, impossible. Wilhelm could not imagine life without his moustache. But how could he get Candy to change her mind? Then he had an idea. 
Candy, he said one morning when she brought his coffee into his office, have you ever thought about going into TV journalism when you finish your studies? She looked excited. Oh, it's what I really want to do, but I need experience to get a chance of a job. Experience, exactly. Now, all great managers today are great communicators. So I want to record a couple of video presentations about my global vision for the company and put them on the company intranet. I need somebody like you to interview me on the videos. You could have a copy of the recordings to show to possible employers back in the States. What do you think? As Wilhelm had anticipated, Candy was grateful. Very grateful. After the recordings were finished, he took her to dinner again, and they both drank plenty of champagne. That night, she finally accepted his suggestion of a nightcap and went back with him to his apartment. Wilhelm woke next morning to the sound of Candy singing in the shower. He had a slight hangover, but was pleased with his success. He'd got exactly what he wanted. She came back into the bedroom, dressed for work. Hi there, handsome, she said, getting out her iPhone to check appointments. Well, last night was fun, but I have to go get things ready for you in the office. Busy day. She took her coat and bag and went to the door. So, what do you think of my moustache now? Wilhelm called after her. Haven't you forgotten something? She said and left, laughing. He felt confused. What did she mean? Wilhelm touched his face, then went hot and cold as he remembered. No! He screamed and ran to the bathroom. Lying in the rubbish bin were the remains of his moustache. After his second whiskey, he had let her shave it off before they went to bed together. He stared in the mirror and saw his real self for the first time in 35 years. And like water down a drain, his confidence vanished. He tried his special faces in the mirror as usual, but now they all seemed ridiculous to him. Wilhelm went to work, feeling naked. Over the next few months he grew a new moustache, but somehow the magic had gone. People had seen the real Wilhelm Adler, and they were not impressed. After a year, the board of directors forced him to take early retirement, and he was soon forgotten by nearly everybody. Except Candy. She was grateful for the chance he had given her. And a few years later, when she got a job as a newsreader for a big American network, she sent him a copy of the recordings they had made together. Wilhelm sat and watched his moustache in all its glory on the screen. How confident, powerful and attractive it made him look. He sat in silence when the DVD had finished, his cheeks wet. The next morning, he threw it away.
The moustache was written for Business Spotlight. And I'm not proud to admit it, but I have to say that when I wrote it, um, there was a slight revenge factor built in because I modelled the character of Willem, uh, of Wilhelm Adler on a number of people that I didn't like very much. And it's interesting how sometimes spite can really help the creative process. Um, if you think about the two characters, uh, Wilhelm Adler and uh, Candy, I had such a clear idea of what I didn't like about uh, the, these people that I was uh, that I based Wilhelm on, that I was able to create Wilhelm really very quickly. And uh, reading it again, I think Candy, to be honest, is a bit of a stereotype. You could pull her together from any number of Hollywood films. But Wilhelm still feels really very authentic to me. I'm guessing there are lots of characters in famous novels that are based on people or types of people that the novelist didn't like. Uh, I mean, think about all the bad guys in a James Bond novel. Um, you can get the feeling that uh, probably Ian, Fem Ian Fleming didn't really like non-British people very much at all. Um, they're all uh, French, Russian, German or American. And uh, if you then go to slightly more highbrow literature, if you think about Jane Austen, um, it seems to me that there must have been really lots of people she didn't like. Uh, if you just take Pride and Prejudice, for example, you have at least four characters who are completely poisonous. And um, that's not even including any of um, Elizabeth Bennet's sisters, uh, three of whom who are completely dreadful. And even the hero, uh, Mr. Darcy, spends at least three quarters of the novel being described as really, really unpleasant. So perhaps this is a, a good thing for a writer. If writing is a form of therapy to be used to, to get bad emotions out of your system, um, I mean, perhaps writing the moustache was just all that stopped me from, from running amok. I don't know. But now we need to get onto the serious topic in this story, uh, and that is the great evil of facial hair. Now, I have to admit, I have grown a beard in my youth, so it's not even that I'm envious of people who have them. I have also had to accept the fact that one of my children has a fairly magnificent beard. I excuse him because I say he's an artist. And I also know that at least one of my regular listeners, um, you know who you are, uh, is also an enthusiastic beard wearer. Um, this could also have something to do with the fact that he's a very passionate environmentalist and it goes with the territory having a beard, um, so I'm willing to forgive him. But in general, I do not approve of facial hair uh, on men, especially, actually on women either, to be honest. Um, especially horror of horrors, the three-day beard. Um, this, of course, has something to do with my age and the kind of cinema role models that I admired when I was growing up. I mean, can you imagine uh, a Cary Grant or a Roger Moore or a George Clooney with a beard? Of course not. Um, in fact, unless perhaps it was Clint Eastwood in a spaghetti western, heroes were always clean-shaven. And if someone had a, a three-day beard, it was because they were an alcoholic or a drug addict or a gangster of some kind. 
I remember being completely amazed the first time I saw on television an advertisement for an electric razor that allowed men to always have a three-day beard. Um, before that, in my innocence, I had always imagined that it, uh, a three-day beard just meant that men would just shave every four days or so. And it seemed to me to be the height of vanity to actually have a razor which would give you a three-day beard every single day. See, I could imagine not shaving out of laziness, but to shave every day deliberately with an electric razor so that you look like an alcoholic or a drug addict or a gangster uh, just seemed incredibly vain. But fun fact, um, how can you estimate the chances of somebody pulling through a severe illness if they're a man? Apparently, according to intensive care nurses, you can get an idea about their will to live uh, depending on how uh, interested they are in shaving or not. So if somebody is not shaving, it just means they've given up all hope. So I will admit that until a couple of years ago, I belonged to the Lazy Shaver Club. So if it was a day or maybe two, I didn't always feel it was necessary to, to get the razor out. But then I was actually delivered at short notice to the intensive care unit of a hospital in Munich. And I had a two-day beard on me because I had been lazy in the two days before. And of course, to everybody who came to visit me, I looked much worse than I really was because of this stubble. And on top of that, I just felt disgusting. So as soon as I could, I got a razor and shaved off what was by then, I think, a five-day stubble. And since that day, I have never missed a morning shave, and nor have I had to go back to the intensive care unit. So coincidence? I think not. Let that be a lesson to you all. And to all my women listeners out there, maybe this is something you should be talking about to the men in your life. I mean, generally speaking, I'm a little bit disappointed in the female reaction to the three-day beard. Uh, from women I've talked to about this serious issue, a lot of you seem to actually like this look. Now, I've already given you a lot of reasons as to why this is not a good idea at all, but I will finish my lecture with a reference to some research done in the Archives of Sexual Behaviour by Dr. Julian Oldmeadow, a lecturer in social psychology at Swinburne University of Technology in Melbourne. And uh, he did a survey of 250 US Americans and 250 Indians. And the survey found, and I quote, most importantly, we found there was a link between facial hair and gender attitudes. Men with facial hair from both countries agreed more with the hostile sexist statements than men without facial hair did. That is, men with facial hair agreed more than clean-shaven men that women seek to gain power by getting control over men, that women are too easily offended that once a woman gets a man to commit to her, she usually tries to put him on a tight leash, and that most women interpret innocent remarks as being sexist. So basically, uh, if your partner is, has got a three-day beard, it means they're a sexist pig. Statistically. Something to think about.
So I hope you enjoyed this week's episode and um, yeah, don't take my lecture too seriously. I'm going undercover now for a few weeks until all the hipsters out there have calmed down about my uh, uh, horrible beardist attitudes, but I will be back later this year with season eight. However, I'm going to leave myself a little time to maybe think again about how I want to present Behind the Bottom Line in the future. And if you have any ideas or suggestions, why not send them to me? You can contact me on my website, behindthebottomline.com. And remember, you can also read the transcripts of the stories in Season 7, leave reviews, buy my books in the bookshop, or listen to any episodes you may have missed. So I hope you'll be back to listen to me when I return. And until then, take care and goodbye.